I think it's, uh, yeah, it is. I think it's one of the really interesting spaces, like what happens next after mobile? Is it going to be AR or uh, VR or is it going to be you know, voice driven? I think Alexa's, you know, Amazon is obviously so far ahead of everybody else on voice. Uh, we sort of have some sort of indication that Apple's going down the AR VR route. Uh, I just think it's a super interesting time for what, what's coming next after mobile. Nice. Uh, Courtney, I see you jumped on mute. I don't know if you're afraid of the question, but I hope not. What is a product? If, if you were to think of product and a four-year-old was like, what is a product? What, what do you tell them? Oh my God. Well, the first thing I thought about was like my bike and my bike gear. Cause I'm a bit into, I like cycling. Um, and then I thought of cake. Cause like you could sort of condense it down to its most simplest form and just talk about it as a bit, most children understand baked goods. Um, <laughs> But I, I think my favorite product at the moment is like something like Strava. I like these kind, this kind of new fitness tracker community app. Um, I'm a big fan of that one. From cake to cycling, all the way to yeah. new fitness tracking devices. We're asking our panelists as we go in here what a product is. And today on the Scale Up Academy for this podcast, Scale Up Heroes, we're going to talk about scaling up product. What does that mean? It means talking about the people who are in charge of the product, the people uh, who are leading the teams, the teams who are developing the product. And as a leader in your scale up, how do you scale your product and all things considered. So we have guests all the way from London to Kuala Lumpur. If you haven't joined us before, this is going to be a fun 40 my 45 minute discussion around the topic of product development, product management, coming from people who we consider scale up heroes. These are people who've been there, done that, uh, they're experiencing the growing pains, which is the better of the pains to have if you're in the startup space. My name is Ryan Fullen. I'm a global keynote speaker. I'm going to kick off the show here, and I'm going to wrap it up with some sort of fun analogy based on what I hear. And today, Max, you are going to be our panelist. So I will let you take it from here. And for anybody who enjoys this show and wants to find more, you can find us at scaleupacademy.io. Here we go, Max. All is yours. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ryan. Um, my name is Max Eskel, and I'm the head of product for Manines. Um, and what I think is, at the moment is uh, there's a lot of material and help out there if you're a product owner or a product manager. But for, for people who truly sort of lead the businesses or, or, or lead the unit business units, uh, there's not really that much help out there if you're a head of product or if you're a chief product officer. Um, you know, what do you do? How do you add value? How do you, you, know, how do you get there? Um, so I think this is a you know, super exciting gap uh, of knowledge to fill. Uh, really helpful for startups startup CEOs who sort of fill this gap initially. And then, you know, lots of product people aspire to be a uh, head of product or a CPO. Uh, we've got some fantastic panelists to, who've been there, done that, um, and I'm just gonna quickly ask them to introduce themselves. So, um, Courtney, could you, could you spend some time introducing yourself? Sure, hi, I'm Courtney Wiley. Um, I, I work as the VP of product and marketing at a um, SaaS scale-up called Mention Me. So, what we do is create um, referral marketing technology, um, which retailers, e-commerce businesses could implement. Um, we are pre, like, we're probably about 65 people in our team right now. And so we're at the younger end of the scale up journey. Um, we have an engineering team of about 10, I guess. I'm not, I didn't really count. Um, and two people in our product team. So, um, um, but prior to that, I worked in an organization where we had about 40 or 50 PLTs. So I've kind of got both ends of the spectrum, basically. Fantastic. Thanks, Corbin. Hi, Ben. 
Hello, everyone. My name is Ben Kim. I'm the head of user experience at a company called iPrice Group, uh, it, located in Kuala Lumpur, but I am calling in LA back home right now. So essentially what I do is I'm slowly becoming in charge of the entire front end product that we have as a company. Uh, right now I'm overseeing uh, a group of four UXers and the entire product team is about, uh, I think we're about 11 or 12 now. So we're quite big. Uh, we're about 150 of us total. So I think here I'm more kind of talking a lot about the similarities between scaling a UX team as well as a product team as a head of UX and the product owner at iPrice. Brilliant, thanks Ben. Uh, hi John. Hi, um, so I'm John Connolly. I'm the CTO at Receipt Bank. Uh, Receipt Bank helps uh, small businesses work with their bookkeeper accountant and bookkeeper accountants work with small businesses to get all that pre-accounting stuff done so you don't have to handle receipts and expenses and all that sort of good stuff. Um, and we are about 400 or so people in total, about uh, 40 or so in product and UX. Um, and prior to this, I worked for much bigger, much bigger companies. So uh, prior to this, I was at a CPO for a company with about a billion of turnover. And prior to that, I was at Expedia. And prior to that, I actually did a startup with the now CEO of Mention Me. We, we sat around the kitchen table from absolute uh, zero. And um, so everything from sort of uh, buying the first printer or the first desk through to uh, um, larger. And now the more exciting stage, the sort of the, the, the middle bit. Perfect. Thanks, John. And as you can see, this is you know, a very, very talented uh, panel of guests who've got you know experience all the way from sitting around a table ordering a printer you know to working in multi-billion revenue uh, revenue companies so especially you know as I stepped into being a senior product owner and then you know head of products you know you look around and there's there's very little helpful guidance out there to sort of to say you know this is what you should be doing and this is what you should be working on so you know from a very selfish point of view I want to open that up to the panelists and I think the best way to do is divide it in two which is you know what should you be working on what should your role be and then you know later let's come around to what you actually do day to day because I find that's often different so I'll open it up to the panelists and say look what you know on an ideal day on a perfect situation what what should you be working on what should you be doing um i don't john are you happy sort of sort of opening up the floor with that one yeah i, I think my team are probably smiling on the difference between what you should be doing and what and uh, what what is actually being done so i think it's very hard to know from the title of anything what you actually do i think you can only tell what you're meant to be doing by looking at the rest of the team else isn't doing it it's it, it, it may well be you who needs to do it so you might be called the cpo you might manager um, that really doesn't define what needs to be done you probably everything um, that's going to make the company successful doesn't really box you in um, I, I, I find I said people if you really like doing product don't become a CPO because you get so distant um, from what you were enjoying um, you're just not going to do it anymore. You're going to be involved with um, budgeting. You're going to be involved with communicating out to the other executives. You're going to spend uh, very little time doing the, the fun stuff, um, mm -hmm. assuming that's the, the stuff that you find fun, actually um, working on a solution, uh, talking to customers. Okay. So I've found as I've, as I've gone through, um, it's an awful lot about setting the right problem to be working on and then getting the right mm -hmm. people in to work on that problem. Uh, if you're further so, down in the org, it's all, that's already a given for you. 
so setting the right problem is a very interesting one, and then you know, allocating resources. I think, yeah, you know, I think definitely from my own perspective, that's sort of, that sort of definitely resonates. Ben, I think you you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think there's a huge difference in when I first started, um, and then what I'm doing now. I think in terms of should, I think at the very beginning, people as the head of something, they often ask you to be an individual contributor and kind of have an influence on the product itself directly. And I think as you scale your team and as you have people that are reporting under you, it's more important to be a coach and a leader and help them understand what they need to do in the day-to-day process. So for example, right now at iPrice, I don't do any designs. I don't do any user experience because I have a team that does it for me. So my responsibility is to make sure that my team is best equipped to tackle on any challenges that are coming ahead. Am I you know, stepping in and helping solve problems? Of course, but at the end of the day, I feel like I need to give them the full ownership to really tackle those challenges. So that's a really interesting point. I think you know, more and more teams are moving to sort of more and more companies are moving to empowered teams. How do you how do you give them that sort of empowering and ownership without without them going off you know off piste or you know out of the reservation and doing something completely random? Right, and I th- I think just to really quickly answer that question, I think my team we have a very good discussion about mentorship through coaching and mentorship through doing. So oftentimes you have to be really certain as to, can you help teach your team by actually just doing the work and showing them, hey, this is how I feel like should have been done in the first place. Or do you mentor them by just asking better questions and say, hey, um, is this really the best use of your time? Or is this really the best way you could have done this problem, right? Could you have done it this way or et cetera? Okay, so can I get some some opening thoughts from you, Courtney, is that okay? Sure, I mean, I think, um, we, we're, we're in a similar position. We're trying to get the teams as empowered as possible to, um, although we're a bit of a smaller business, you know, that we're right at that cur- curve tip over point when like we're moving from a lot of individual contributors towards product teams. Um, I think we use OKRs as our goals, our tool for setting goals and results. And I think a lot of businesses do that. And I think that's a really good way of making sure that everyone is aligned around, you know, what they have to deliver is X, how they deliver it is a bit more up to them. Um, And so we're all, so so they have the sort of autonomy to do that. Um, And then our product team is really involved in the ideation and pulling the teams together. A lot of the work that they're doing is not actually like writing the specs, it's making sure the right stakeholders are working on them together. So you have an engineer, a UX person, a designer, and those are the people who are creating the idea and the the products. So that's the direction we're going in. Um, I hope that that will will be how we continue to scale. I mean, in terms of what the head of product does, for us, it's really about setting that direction, whatever that means, whatever that takes, getting the organization aligned to deliver around those things. No, that's, that's, that's super interesting because obviously you look at the Spotify model, you know, they have empowered teams, but the thing they make sure and major on is, you know, they need to be very aligned, but high, high autonomy requires um, very high levels of alignment. And so I think sort of what I'm hearing from the panelists is, you know, it's broadly about these two things, which is how do you align the teams so that you, so you can then trust them with that autonomy to go in and execute, um, you know, I read, what I read recently is, you know, autonomy within bounds. And trying to do that so i'd be really interested you know obviously you use okrs which i think we do as well i'd like yeah, if, if it's okay with you call is explain how how you sort of come up as a company come up with okrs and how that sort of goes down how that you know how that how 
that interacts with the product teams, how the product teams interact with that. And then, you know, I'll open up, you know, hopefully you know, go to some of the other members and panelists and uh, sort of explore how this, this, this point on alignment. Yeah, sure, of course. So we, we set annual OKRs as a business. I mean, that's things like very high level, um, you know, double the size of the business, increase revenue, um, lifetime value per client, da, 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 go international, things like this. Um, and then in the past, um, we- so quickly, sorry, sorry, who sets those? Who's in the room? When the management team sets them together. So that, that's basically like, um, we don't really have C-level managers at the moment. We're a bit too small for that, but it's me, um, the, the leader of the sales side of the business, the leader of the customer service side of the business, and then the CEO and the CTO. Um, so we do that together. Then each of the individual functional managers takes them and roles, uh, creates initiatives and um, key results from that. And we try to push our teams to do that as much as possible. And so we've done functional OKRs up to now. But I think that coming up for January 2019, we will slightly tweak that and we'll have product line OKRs. So we may no longer have like the engineering group OKR and the product team OKR and the sales team OKR. We're going to kind of try to merge them together into you. I think that's going to be a really crucial um, pivot point for us. Um, where we will get the maximum of alignment and that's when the product team will really get that kind of autonomy to deliver on those. Okay, so it's, yeah, really interesting. I think it's when when companies scale, I think you start moving from, especially where you are at the moment, you start having to think about structure of the teams more. Yeah. And one of the things that plays into is, okay, how do you have clear goals for those teams that aren't, you know, causing fratricide between the teams? Ben, you know, I'd be really interested to see sort of how you're solving this problem. Yeah, so I think for us as a company, we're being a little bit experimental recently, we've gone through this entire agile transformation. I think that's the hot craze these days. You know, we've read the Spotify article, so we're trying to model a lot of what we do based on that. So how we do our OKRs is, you know, just like Courtney, we have the upper management, the C-level come up with the company OKRs for the year. And we essentially, for us, have product lines or what we call value streams. So we would have three different focuses for the company, whether it's scaling traffic or increasing engagement or increasing the monetization of our partnerships, like those kind of uh, different separate lines create their own OKRs as a value stream. And in that, um, for them, it's very cross-departmental, right? We have design, we have product, we have tech, we have even account management, even the finance team and the HR team kind of go coinciding a lot with these different value streams. So the end result is it's a very bottoms up and a top-down approach where a lot of the different value streams have really coincides well with the company objectives and the company OKRs, but it's something that we as a group cross departments, something that we came up by ourselves and feel, feel very comfortable and very confident we can accomplish this, this term, essentially. I think, I think it's really interesting in terms of your point about top down versus bottom up and iteration. I think you know, we very much started, you know, how Courtney's done is, you know, leadership team set the goal and that cascades down. I think what I'm doing this time around is, is okay, let's, let's, let's prepare for that. You know, teams, what do you think? What what do you want the OKRs to be? What way would you like to go? So that it sort of comes bottom up and, and then top down. Um, because what you know the feedback we kept on getting is is you know the executive team, the leadership team decide on something and then it flows down. Um, rather than actually, you know, I'm a product owner, I want to really own this. I can see, you know, I know what I want to be in a year's time. 
yeah, let, let them at least me make a pitch for, for, for what my OKRs can be. So I think, yeah, that, that iteration, I think, is fascinating. John, are you in, a, you in a place to sort of jump in? I think you're on mute. I assume my connection is any better this time. Is it, is it working? Am I st stuttering robot? OK, excellent. There we go. 4G is better than broadband. Um, so um, I think I think we're sort of between the two. So we've, Courtney described as we, we've got the top down, uh, what we want to achieve as an overall company in terms of revenue, in terms of the number of happy customers, in terms of the number of happy users. And we're trying to move away from, as you were describing, Max, I think the top down, this is what you should build. So we're bringing the teams in and saying, you know, this is your mission, you need to have people smiling in this area, you need to have people efficient in this area, et cetera, and giving them a KPI, some way to measure that. Um, and then we've got the added complication then of geography, where we need to sort of overlay what it means for this country, what it means for that country. And we've got the added complication as well that we have um, multiple, so many teams now that we've actually got five heads of product who all have their own uh, multiple product teams below that. So I need to find a way that they can be naturally aligned. Um, and we're figuring our way through that. For the most part, um, it helps that they all sort of need each other to succeed. But we, we split the heads of product up to try to focus on different uh, customers. So one focuses on the ecosystem of software that we interact with. Another focuses on uh, the clients and the SMBs. The other focuses on the accountants and bookkeepers. Um, but there's no way to, to, to stop dependencies between them. But we, we figured we just had to find some way to, to divide mm -hmm. up, um, you know, the sort of tens of people we had into a new structure. Uh, we're stepping into OKRs. We were doing that at the company I was before. We introduced them and we made it far too complex and then made it simple again. And <laughs> we're, we're going to do, uh, hopefully avoid making it far too complex and just go straight to simple. Um, so I think we made the same problem as well. You know, I think a lot of people do is, is the strategic OKRs you know, end up being really, really granular and all this, you know, which, is, which takes away the autonomy from the teams, or there's so many of them that you could literally justify anything because there's so many of the OKRs. Uh, so the, the balance between do the OKRs allow people to make a trade-off? Because I think you're exactly right. You know, it's not a question of you know, getting rid of dependencies. There's things you can do. There's always trade-offs. I think you know, that's that's you know that's really important in terms of how you structure your teams and how you structure the OKRs. And I think the customer-centric ways, I think, is hugely you know, is a lot easier because at least then you're not fighting over the same customer. But what I was really interested in was you're in a, a position now is where you're leading leaders who are leading leaders. You know, you're not leading you know, like Courtney is. The team's relatively small. It's sort of directly leading people and you're sort of leading people who are leading other people do you think do, do you think that fundamentally changes much is it a very different thing again for, for your position to do i think it's very hard when you're scaling i'll tell you that much because um because you're new in and then the people you're bringing in to lead are new in and trying to give people the autonomy and being hands-off enough yet knowing that someone's only five weeks in the job or six weeks in the job or three months in the job or nine months in the job. So I, I think however complex leading leaders is, uh, when you're rapidly adding in new people to the mix, it's harder to sort of stand back and give them the space to uh, make their own mistakes. I think Ben was saying, you know, do you, 
do you say, well, I could have done it better and here's how I would have done, or do you just try to nudge them towards it? And, you know, it's, um, it's a mixture of both, but generally the nudge towards, I think, um, is, is maybe more long-term successful. Perfect. Um, I think, I think that perfectly segues into, into my next question, which is, um, you know, so we've talked about, um, the sort of having the OKRs and the alignment. And then the other part of this is, you know, generating these teams, which, which are empowered and that you trust to execute. And obviously the, the younger the team or the newer the people, that's going to be more difficult. So I'd love to, to open that up to the panelists. How do you create an environment or a business? Where, where you do have these teams that, that, that have got high levels of or, you know, autonomy or, or empowerment, however you want to uh, describe it. But, yeah. um, ben, I think you've probably got some, some great ideas on this. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I'd really try to do is help you know, fully understand the skill set of my team. And I think because I have been a practicing UXer before, I I have a pretty good understanding of where I feel like some of my team members are lacking in certain areas. So I have a junior UX designer in my team who's just fantastic and she wants to be, you know, involved in so many different things and try to level up her skill set so she can be a full-time UX designer. But I think for me, it's to really help her understand where her weaknesses are and then try to place her into specific situations where she has an opportunity to really address those weaknesses. And I think when we're talking about empowering teams, I think it's just having the full trust that they're going to get the job done well. And I think, you know, they might not, they might not, and that's a possibility, but, you know, having that trust and that belief and um, giving them the ownership, I've generally found that it really elevates their enthusiasm and elevates their uh, skill sets at the end of it. So, so I'm sure like everybody else on the panel, you either are just about to or have read Reed, Reed Hoffman's Blitzscaling. And, you know, he talks about trust as consistency over time. And right. why I love, what I love that analogy, where it breaks down is, you know, what, what you know what that means is you definitely don't trust at the start uh but that you know the way i've sort of interpreted it is you can have faith at the start and that faith you know might might turn into trust over time but i think this this big at the beginning that john was talking about is when you've got early or young teams or, or new people how do you how do you give them the sort of feeling that they're empowered and they own it but also you know make sure that you know they don't sink the company because in some places, especially for a financial services institution, you know that, that, that that's really risky. If you you know if if you don't have your eyes on it, it could really it could really you know sink the company if you're not careful. So you know I'd love to understand, Courtney, how do you think, you know how how do you think you can sort of engender this trust? Do you trust from the start, or how do you build these sort of teams? So I I do actually try to trust from the start as much as I possibly can. Um, but there's also maybe some little techniques that we would use to make the whole team a bit more um, consistent and trustworthy. So we would mix um, like new people with experienced people within the same team. So you probably won't put all your junior people on the same project unless it was a very um, like maybe there's some greenfield projects that are pretty low risk and a good place for those guys to cut their teeth. But generally, if it's going to be something that's important, I would probably put a mixture of characters in there and let them kind of help each other through. Um, the other thing that um, we do loads of is we just share a lot of what we're working on. There's a lot of sort of, um, I mean, maybe in an old world, you would call them gates, but they're probably points at which you could check in with each other and or check in with someone's boss to see how they're doing. And so I, I don't, I mean, autonomy doesn't necessarily mean like 
go do it all yourself um because that's kind of isolation right that isn't that's not autonomy with teamwork and there's like there is a sort of a different theme that is about working together and learning from each other whilst also still being the master of your own destiny i don't think they're mutually exclusive sure i think i think that i think you've hit on something perfectly there which is uh, and we've, we've woven this into what we call our product leads and also some of our interview questions, which what we're trying to find is, is do people see ownership and autonomy as, as owning the team and owning the product and you know, keeping everybody else away? What we call internally as golem leaders, you know, it's my precious, it's mine. Uh, and those are the sorts of people we definitely don't want and we want to weed out in the interview process, but here as well. Uh, whereas the people we do want, you know, the people... The, the leaders we want, and we call them product leaders to, to get around the sort of own, you know, the product owner, sort of CEO, the product mindset, uh, is you know, we do want leaders who, who see themselves as responsible for the success of the product and that there is a solution, but it might not be their solution. Um, you know, it's hopefully the best solution. It might not be their solution. I think that's, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think they're like, to me, they're, they're a bunch of like Luke Skywalkers. They're leaders, but they're like leading because they're, they're taking you along with their passion and their vision and they're communicating and they're, mm -hmm. they're like kind of leading the rebel force rather than being um, like sort of dictators. Mm, yeah, very much so. I think uh, servant leadership is like a term we use a lot. Um, and when we interview product leaders here, we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to hire a lot of them is you know, trying to, is this person a golem leader or, or is this person a servant leader? I think, yeah, I think that's a really interesting approach in terms of getting empowered teams. I think if the lead, you know, for me, if the leader's right, I think the rest can follow. Um, and it's got to be down to the natural characteristics of that. John, I'm sure, you know, you've got yeah. leaders. I think, yeah, I think this is a super interesting question. I think um, not overemphasizing ideas, you know, what's your idea, what's your idea, because that, that leads to great product dictators. Who, who see there's an archetype within them that they need to reveal and get built, as opposed to being more the sort of middle child diplomat who's trying to bring people together. And I think it's far more scalable if you've got this sort of middle child diplomat mentality where you're trying to get everyone to play nicely together and get the best out of everyone. Uh, I think that works very well. If as a company you are always rewarding the idea rather than the outcome, um, people fight an awful lot about where the idea came from um, and product managers, product owners, et cetera, et cetera, will all be sort of reticent to take on the view of what they want to show that theirs was right. So I'd say don't overemphasize ideas too much. I would even say don't overemphasize vision too much. Um, Interesting. So yeah, the famous quote, you know, success has many fathers, but, but failure is an awful, I think is you know, never, never a true word is said. Ben, I think you, you want to jump in? Yeah, just really quickly to touch uh, on what Max said and what Courtney said is, you know, I've worked with a lot of PMs over the years, and I think that there are some ones who feel like they're actually the managers of the team. And I think there's a huge difference between managing a team and managing a product. So I've had PMs who are essentially kind of say, hey, do it this way, this way, this way, and a very directive in that sense, which really pulls away any sort of autonomy in the scrum teams themselves, right? And I think I've seen a lot of PMs just provide the support and provide a lot of the information and allow the scrum teams to make the decisions based on their best uh, judgment. And I think the huge difference between the two is that the first one you don't want to work with, the second one you love to work with. Okay, no, they're, they're really interesting. I think also you sort of touched slightly on a point about, you know, charismatic leadership, which 
you know, I think is, I think is a, a huge area of interest, but, but I think there's probably better less for another time. So I think we've talked about uh, leaders and we've also talked a little bit, uh, a little bit about process uh, with John in terms of, you know, focusing on you know, the, the relationships and stakeholder management. I think one of the interesting things as heads of products, and I think, you know, Ben, you mentioned it as well in terms of, you know, the, you, know, you sort of move away a lot from doing product into sort of a lot of relationship management and I sort of know my position seven years. So I think one of one of the roles that, that, that I that I seem to have as head of head of products is you know is product voice in the rest of the business um, and sort of helping you know helping that product teams and sort of a lot of stakeholder management with the rest of with the rest of the leadership team. So we're really interested to see what other people's uh, thoughts are about you know, how they balance stakeholder management, how they do it, and any top tips because you know I, I'd love to hear it. So, uh, you know, John, obviously, let, let's start with you because I think you know you've you've got uh, this problem, you know, t- you know, five x ten x of some of the other people. Um, God, so I'm. I mean, I think I'm. I'm married to engineering, so like I, my work wife is our CTO. And um, that very strong relationship there is kind of um, emerging that needs to be just as strong with marketing. I think Courtney was saying actually you're VP of product marketing. So, um, so I think stakeholder management almost comes with a negative connotation, doesn't it? It's sort of like you know nu- nuisance botherer control, um, as opposed to being on the same team. And I think you know. Uh, watching uh, more and more uh, good people talk on YouTube about how to do it really right, it really does seem like you need to be going ever more towards the same team. So, um, so I, I I spend the majority of our time with our um, CTO, CFO, um, CMO, CEO, and COO. Uh, I spend more time with them than I do my own team, which, which may not be right. I'm not. That's not advice. Um, but but that's how how it works with me and. The key thing being making sure that if I'm going to put a dollar in to making something work better in, in South Africa, does that line up with the priorities of the marketing team, with, with the sales team, etc.? Do we all agree that the limiting factor is product in that market? Or would the money be better spent on something else? And I think um, being able to have a good conversation where you're not, where you, the answer isn't always product, where you're open to, you know what, the product's good enough, spend the money on marketing, or the product isn't good enough, give me it before you spend the marketing. Um, and I enjoy those conversations. I think I, you know, they, given that I'm not allowed to get involved in solutioning on the actual core product, uh, because that's, you know, wildly unempowering and no one wants to hear my generally bad ideas on it. Um, it is fun to get involved in solutioning on. And, and that's, that's, I'd say the majority of my time there. So, so how do you prepare for something like that? So, are you is it are you at the stage where you sort of move beyond sort of you know, discussing it around a table and gut feel, or have you you know you moved to the sort of the Amazon six pager or using PowerPoint? How do you prepare? So we we we're still at the being able to be around a table with massive frustration with anyone doing stuff off gut feel because <laughs> you don't know if that's honest or not. So, we're trying to come up with a common currency. Uh, some way of of um, of being able to trade between product and marketing, uh, and that isn't a business case. That isn't someone going, well, you 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 claim that you can get five x the revenue, and I claim I'll get seven x the rest revenue, and we'll go into a pissing match. Uh, it's a it's a genuine look. 
what is the problem and which department needs to step in in order to get things growing faster in a market. Um, but we don't have some magic formula. Um, we're not doing many business cases. We're, we're, there's still enough. There's everyone's in, in our company, everyone is constrained on how fast they can grow. So no one's looking for more resource as such. We're all at the absolute limit of hiring. So I'm not looking to get more resource or somebody else marketing looking to get more resource off me. So it isn't contentious in that sense. We can all be very honest and very open, but it still is round, round the board table rather than in some big database or some tool. Okay, no, no, brilliant. That's you know, that's great to hear because I think you know a lot of people think that as startups scale up and grow, they sort of grow into you know start putting sort of business cases and stuff together. And it's great, you know, it's great that people are sort of still you know in agile terms, you know, talking about you know, personal interactions over processes and tools, which is you know, really encouraging. So, Courtney, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear how you how you solve this problem. Sure. I mean. It, I like a bit like John, I mean, we're a smaller scale business. So I guess you would expect we would still do a lot of things around the same table. Um, like we prioritize our road, the things that are on our roadmap um, together as a senior leadership team. Um, we, but stakeholder management is at all levels. And this is what I was wanting to say. It's like, I think it's normal for a manager to um, have tight bonds, particularly as your business scales and you are a senior manager, like a head of product might be. It's normal to have tight bonds um, at other functional heads at your level, right? Like you would expect that from the, the senior exec team to spend more time together than they do probably with the rest of their department. Um, but the rest of the department still has to do that and make that donut with all the other teams. So the heads go around and the managers go around and the execs go around. And I think that's really important thing to, um, like we just perpetually coach on this. That's why, you know, we, we spend a lot of time at all levels in the business. We have sort of product surveys. We do prioritization and reviews with all the teams every quarter, um, Everyone gets a chance to make suggestions for ideas for the roadmap. Um, we do cross-functional team stuff like th that whole, I think the stakeholder engagement has to be really strong everywhere. I think that's, I don't know, I'm gonna put it out there. That's like 30% of the product team's job, right? And it's not, I mean, if you think your job is just specking or coming up with a vision or ideas, then you've massively missed a third of what your big contribution to the business is. Um, no, I, th I think yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a you know, great answer. I think um, yeah, I think communicating in, in whatever form or whatever form you know it, it comes naturally to a company. I think we use we use this sort of well, your teams are we use Slack a lot. You know, yeah, the channel. You know, we'll come up with okay, we're looking at this. What's what's initial thoughts? You know, here's some thoughts about it, and then you know try and try and do that. I think also your point about alignment to all levels. You know, we one of the things you know. A lot of teams get frustrated as meetings, and so we've, what we've tried to do is have fewer, much more impactful meetings. So we've got a scrum of scrums every day for 10 minutes, all you know, the CEOs there, all the leadership's there, and the teams go, I've got no problems or I've got a problem, and as soon as the team hands says, I need a problem, you know, people jump on it and solve it. Um, and also that means that everybody knows what's gonna come up, and it means you don't need these hours of meetings on alignment because everybody's just got an intuitive sense. You know, I don't think that will last very long because you know I think when we get to John's size, you don't you can't kind have of a scrum of scrums for you know a you know, hundred product owners. That's just that's just not going to work. Uh, but I think this is you know, how we solve that is by you know, keeping these meetings, trying to get that information as you say you know, to everybody, but involve everybody in the direction. You know, 
you can run very fast, but it doesn't make you know it's not beneficial if you're running very fast in the wrong direction. So I think that's uh, uh, I think that's, you know, a great input. Ben, I'd love to hear sort of how you how you solve this problem. Yeah, I think I'm gonna be a little cheesy here for a bit because so in my the value stream that we have for engagement, it's filled with data scientists business intelligence, PO myself, and UXers and developers. And I always tell them that we only have one stakeholder, which is the user. So for us, everything that we do, we're beholden by bringing user value at the end of the sprint. And we really don't have, as a company, a lot of VPs or C-level coming in and saying, hey, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't do this, or you should do it this way. It really hasn't been top down for us at all whatsoever. I think because we've had so much emphasis and understanding and appreciating the different aspects of our business. So for example, we probably wouldn't make a huge change that negatively impacts SEO because we respect the work that the other team is doing and that we understand the importance of SEO in our company. And when the account management comes to us and says, hey, during this campaign season, we wanna make sure the tracking, everything's okay. So we'd appreciate it if you're not running wild experiments during this time, it's not, for them to say, don't do it, it's to kind of for us to say, okay, we respect their work and what they're doing. So we're not, we're going to not, you know, run these experiments. So for us, in terms of stakeholder management, it really hasn't been like, we need to get approval here, approval there, approval there. It's that the company really trusts us as a, as a value stream and as a UX team and our product team to really make the best decision based on the business that we have all kind of rallied around. I think that's really interesting. I'd love to, uh, and I think that's a you know, great place, aspirational place to get to. How do you bring new people, new members of the team? Yeah, how do you get? You know, how do you impart this tacit knowledge to them so so that you can sort of leave them to leave them to run with it? I think for us, it's pretty. Um, I think we have it a little easier than uh, Courtney and John in the sense that we are a very user funnel driven business at the current moment. So explaining the, the funnel and the mathematics behind the funnel and the business behind the funnel is very easy for someone to understand, right? If the conversion rate drops, we lose money. If the conver conversion rate goes up, we make money. So in a sense, when we're talking about user value, it's more about how can we increase the conversion rate and educate the users to the best of our abilities. So when a new person comes in, I feel for us, the education itself is quite a lot simpler than it would in a different, you know, maybe for example, a SaaS company where you are really beholden by know some of the enterprise customers like I was you know several years ago right so in that sense I feel like I have it easy I'm kind of curious to hear Courtney and John's take on it right but I think that's really interesting especially around you know, what it seems to be is you sort of have a guiding met metric a north star metric and that's you know that's what sort of people can get aligned to uh so yeah yeah let's John John what do you yeah, I mean, so it's always interesting because when you get you get more into it, you know, you've got you probably got the gross margin of the sort order that matters on the conversion. You've probably got the uh, the cost of the traffic. You know, you could end up buying meta traffic into a meta engine to the highest conversion possible, but the economics would would suck to high heaven. Um, so I think I think getting the getting the, the initial focus on the sort of the, the truth and the honesty, like let's delight somebody and then layering in the understanding that the marketing department doesn't buy all traffic at, at the same price, um, that uh, there are different gross margins for, for different things. There is some trade-off between uh, the user wanting free ice cream and you wanting to make some money out of selling ice cream. Um, so I think that, you know, they, they're worth sort of, 
layering in. We we had, I think it's always very good to come back to, in, in, in the long run, you'd better be doing right by the user. And in our case, the user and the customer are two different people. We need to do right by them both. Um, so I think that that's always good to, to, to maintain, but uh, also making the, 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 for the product owner's own, ed, own education, uh, just making them aware of the economics of marketing, how they vary, the economics of how the cash flow might vary, what that might mean for funding models is also kind of cool to give people exposure to. Even if, you know, right where the company's at right now, it, it, it isn't a major consideration. I think that is, um, that's sort of good for people's just general understanding of, of the business and sympathy towards the, towards the other departments. I think your your point on you know, a couple of people have mentioned delight for customers. You know, I was very lucky to be be a product gen recently, and Gibson, you know, the XVP product for Netflix, said you know the art of products is uh, delivering features experiences in a delightful, revenue enhancing and hard to copy way. And I think you know those two last bits, revenue enhancing and hard to copy. I think those those two really made a huge impact on me. Um, and obviously, you know, we took all our product owners to that as well. And, you know, that, that was one of the light bulb moments which clicked for people. You know, lots of people talk about delight, but, you know, you talked about, you know, it's a, it's a relationship with customers. You know, things that, that we do and our partnerships cost money, we have to cover that cost and we need to keep reinventing money, you know, reinvesting money into making a better product. So it's about, you know, delightful experiences that are, you know, add to revenue and, but are also, you know, strategically hard to copy. So I think yeah, that's definitely helped us look at where we're going to go for sort of quarter one and quarter two next year. And this helped me from a head of product idea is, okay, you know, using your analogy earlier, John, if you've got a pound, where do you put that pound? Yeah, you know, now I'm a lot more careful about, you know, is this hard to copy? And that's one of my, one of my metrics in terms of, you know, okay, yeah, these are our strategic priorities because these three things are really hard to copy. Yeah, they're going to delight the customer. They're going to add revenue, but they're going to be very hard for our competitors to copy. So I think that's yeah, I think that was very, um, very insightful. Um, so I think, uh, do we have time? I'm just going to just do a quick time check. How long have we got? Um, yeah, we're doing great on time. Sometimes it's fun to wrap up with if you would have taught yourself one thing that you wish you would have known kind of in a rapid fire and then i've been the unofficial toastmaster grammarian and i've got 10 of my top quotes that i'm going to share to wrap it up so if we want to do our the best piece of advice from a product standpoint to our younger selves not saying that we're old but just to our younger selves what would that look like perfect so john do you want to, do you want to kick off with that oh uh, this probably really relates to my extreme overconfidence when I was younger, but uh, just be a lot less certain, um, be an awful lot less certain, um, you know, embrace doubt uh, and, and learn an awful lot more quickly. Great. So, yeah, in terms of ambiguity, especially in startups and scale-ups, I think yeah, uh, you're perfect. Ben, you know. I think the lesson that I would hopefully teach my younger self, uh, despite being quite young already, is that I would kind of help understand the business a lot more is that I feel like a lot of UXers, I'm sure you guys have worked with these individuals before is that we often mistake and not understand that, you know, which user value leads to business value. Uh, thanks, John, uh, leads to business value. So I think for us, we've, I've in the past, I've focused a lot on features and things that just don't help push the company forward. And I feel like a lot of the 
the roadblocks that I've experienced is because you know people saw that hey this really isn't a big business value. So I think for for me, if I can learn to kind of merge business value and user value together earlier, I feel like my career would have been a lot simpler uh, because of that. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's a great piece of feedback, Courtney. Uh, so this is a, this is maybe more of like a, just a scaling, not just specifically for product, but just as you as you um, as your business scales. And I've been through that um, growth story like a couple of times now. And I wish I'd known earlier that it's kind of a, it's okay to let go of the doing, let go of the doing earlier, and let yourself um, get more into that kind of communicating, stakeholder management organizational management and that a lot of people that go from an individual contributor to a senior manager role feel like they're not doing anything anymore and that's actually a really positive thing so like just embrace it and um like we have a joke in the office and my goal is to not actually use my fingers at all anymore just talk to people uh, yes yeah, so yeah i think you know for me there's two things i do now which is think and communicate yeah i'll probably do one more than the other and more i should but uh but yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah, I think we all go through that as we sort of learn. I think it comes even further when you step up and start leading leaders and leaders as well. I think it slightly changes as well. Uh, for me, my takeaway was 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 coming and listen. You know, I when I when I arrived at Moniz, it took two weeks and didn't make any decisions, didn't say anything. All I I went around to pretty much everybody in the business and said, what three things can we not change and must we not lose, and what three things do we need to change right now. And by going around and just listening, you're doing the stakeholder management thing and just you know, really listening to people. That then helped me fully understand the business because if I hadn't have done that, I would have made some pretty terrible decisions. Uh, but it also showed that I was sort of open and willing. And then when it came to saying, look, I think we need to change these things, um, I could sort of point to, look, here is some evidence to support the fact that I want to change these things. So it helped, you know, I think it took me some time, uh, but I think it was you know, taking the time to listen uh, really, really helped me sort of hit the ground running and faster than I perhaps would have done. You know, I just need to keep make sure I keep on doing that in the future, keep on sort of keeping keeping on this mission. But um, I just want to thank you all for the panelists. Before I hand over to Ryan, I I certainly learned a ton. Uh, I definitely want to catch up with you all of you, you know, individually to sort of to carry on the conversation because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was super exciting. Over to you, Ryan. Thanks, buddy. Great job. No, it was a fun conversation. What I thought was interesting is how much talk wasn't necessarily about product. It was all things around product. So if you've been to Toastmasters or not, there's various roles. And one is the grammarian, the person who's supposed to listen for things um, that are not necessarily um, mistakes, but things that stand out and things that that resonate. So I chose top 10. This is our David Letterman top 10 list in no particular order. And I didn't call you by who said it. And I might have improvised a little bit. But number one, lead by leading leaders to be better leaders. And I really think that was a fun conversation about leadership. Create space to make your own mistakes. That's a fun one because you can go off with that. And if you're literally letting people make mistakes, uh, you're sort of, you're able to control that and giving them their own space. Understanding the team skill sets to set your sights. I like that concept because we sometimes forget to really ask what people actually know then faith turns into trust over time. So be patient and have faith. Just add those two in there. Uh, early empowerment enables ownership. But on ownership, there's a difference between product leaders and product owners. So I think there's an interesting tie between those. And if the leader is right, the rest will follow. Definitely a field of dreams product um, creation here. And then don't overemphasize the idea 
or values or vision, focus on the end game and then prioritize dot, dot, dot user value. I thought there was a lot of talk about prioritizing, but a lot of talk of value, which is great. And my favorite, I think at the end, it happens to be at the end is find your North star metric because a metric is not valuable unless you know what it does, how it relates to this business bottom line. You can be great at UX, but if you don't have the larger picture of the business in itself, um, and you're not open to listening to the leaders who you're leading to become leaders, then your products are all going to fall apart and break and everybody's going to return them. But we don't want that. So for those of you who are scaling up products, we all have products, again, whether it's cake or bicycles or some sort of uh, electronic device on your wrist, or it's just a user experience from a technology standpoint. So whatever your products are, keep these things in mind. If you need a refresher, go back and watch this podcast. If you need other elements of scaling your scale up, then check out scaleupacademy.io. On behalf of myself and the whole team, what a great way to start the day. This is some insights for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, depending on when you catch the replay. My name is Ryan, and if everybody says adios on the count of three, we shall go. One, two, three. Adios. adios. See you, everybody.